is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back to the Fantasy Rocket Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is Before the Box Score. We are in March. Spring football is happening. Uh, we got lots of new faces making plays on the football field, and you can go out there and watch them. And uh, we're getting our reports daily, eating them up, consuming everything, because in a very short amount of time, there's going to be nothing else to read about until we get to August. Huh. But that's okay. We're still here. BK, how are you doing, man? I'm good. How are you doing today, my man? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. I think a lot better than most Mizzou basketball fans who seem to wow. hate their team, but also think that they should be <laughs> not a nine seed, which I don't know. I, I seem pretty, I, I am personally excited that we're in the tournament, uh, which is something we haven't been able to see for quite some time, but yeah, I think I'm doing just fine. Yeah. Listen, um, Mizzou basketball could have had a better draw. We'll go ahead and put it that way. Um, you have a situation where, the team is going to face against uh, Gonzaga in the second round, and uh, that that that's not great. <laughs> um, they're probably going to lose that game if they get past Oklahoma in the first round. But, uh, yeah. you know, it is what it is. I, I wish that we could expect better, but we can hope for better from the football team this fall. I can tell you what, Mizzou football would beat the hell out of Gonzaga football. I know that. I, know that I, I can like concur. I'm not sure that Mizzou football would get there, though, if they had to go up against Oklahoma football in the first round. Irrelevant. Irrelevant. <laughs> Let the basketball play, basketball team plays the first round, football team plays the second round. That's how it's always been, BK. This is oh, I like that. Okay, I'm into that. You just alternate until you get to the end. Um, 
just randomly speaking of that, um, I tweeted out after Mizzou lost to Arkansas that we, you know, it sucks that we lost in the SEC tournament to, to Arkansas, but at least the Missouri football team hasn't lost mm-hmm. to Arkansas in five years, right? Harmless, like, hey, just feel better, guys. We're okay. The number of insane Arkansas fans who jumped in my mentions and started talking about freaking track and field <laughs> and how Arkansas sports are infinitely better than Missouri sports in every aspect was just flabbergastingly awful. Um, I've, I've never intended, I, I tweeted that out and immediately went to bed. I woke up with like 56 notifications <laughs> on the stupid tweet. I was like, what happened? So, um, Arkansas, y'all are thirsty, thirsty for a rivalry and I don't get it. <laughs> I can appreciate it. I can appreciate getting after it a little bit. Um, now is it necessary? No, but I'm here for it. I think the best tweet, the out of best out of context tweet from that entire thing was Missouri doesn't know body parts. And I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole that led to that, but that's that's where it ended up being. So um, thank you, Arkansas. You all are dramatic and just beautiful, beautiful people. Anyway, um, let's talk about some spring football, man. Obviously, the boys have been getting after it for the past couple of weeks. Uh, the reports have been coming in. You've had our guys, uh, uh, Cortai has been covering the team very, very well. So has Jacob, um, talking about the, seeing what they've seen, showing some video, uh, talking to Eli and the teams, getting some good stuff from that. Power Mizzou has been there. Dave Matter has been there. A lot of stuff to digest, but really, BK, it kind of just seems to come down to the individual players on the team are performing exactly as we thought they were, which I guess that's a good thing, right? Yeah, so the really good freshmen that you expected to perform really well coming into camp. Hey, uh, newsflash, they have been really good so far at camp. The guys that you thought were going to be really good that transferred in, whether they be JUCO players, they've been quite good so far. Those things where it all, I almost wonder sometimes, is this confirmation bias or is this them actually the latter? Because there's no reason to be pessimistic about spring football. All that can happen in the spring is that good things typically happen, unless something, unless somebody gets hurt. Um, so this is in for optimism and so far there's been nothing to quell that optimism for any Mizzou fan that was excited about what they added in the off season. I think it just makes plenty of sense. I mean, you know, Drinkwitz brought in a bunch of young receivers. Why? Because there wasn't a lot of proven receiver talent. What happens? The young receivers look really good. This isn't rocket surgery, right? Oh, wait a second. Uh, they brought in a ton of young cornerbacks because they didn't have any cornerback depth, and the young cornerbacks are looking good. Huh. Imagine that, right? Like, <laughs> this is, I mean, it's good. It's better than saying, wow, we brought in all these guys and they freaking suck. Like, okay, that's certainly the worst case scenario. But it's it's funny. It's just kind of like, yeah, it's maybe it is confirmation bias, but it's just like, oh, the position of need where a lot of young guys could possibly play, see a lot of young guys succeeding. That's a good thing. That's kind of what we expected. And then, I mean, look at the numbers that have been handed out. Mookie Cooper, uh, Dominic Lovett, Tyler Macon got number 10 the other day. Dalen Carnell, a four-star cornerback, got 13 the other day. Um, you know, keep going down, and you've got uh, 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 Daniel Robledo, the, the Juco defensive end, defensive tackle. We're not totally sure where he's at. He grabbed the 56. Realist George Jr., he grabbed the 91. Again, two positions where, you know, somebody can step up on the other side. That wasn't a huge position of need, but – it's you bring in Juco guys to play and oh by the way they're working into the rotation right now yeah that's why you brought them on man um so and Zaquan Reeves got number 30 as well so like it, it's all just making sense and and for a long time you know you, you, you go into these things and you're like I want to be surprised 
I want a good storyline. Well, guys, I think the storyline is that Drinkwitz knows what he's doing. He got the talent that he wanted to get in the positions he needed. And uh, so far in two weeks, they're doing exactly what they should be doing. Yeah, I, I do think for what it's worth, there are a few that have seemingly even outperformed expectations. Um, like everything that I've heard thus far about what Perkins, Darius Perkins, their uh Warner, that he's seeming great thus far at camp. And that is something that for me personally, as I watched his whatever highlight film, whatever you want to call it, the huddle film that is available for us, I was sure that personally, uh Mookie Cooper I'm two minds on him is I'm a Chiefs fan. So what happens in training camp and there's a specific player that always shows out every preseason, every training camp. There's a specific type of receiver that always ends up getting all of the accolades. It's either one, the really, really big guy that goes up and high points the football and looks great when they're not in shoulder pads. Um, or the really, really jitterbug, small, like running back at receiver type that just looks fantastic because they're not tackling to the ground. And I hope that what's happening at Mizzou camp right now is not that Mookie Cooper falls into that latter latter category. I hope he's actually really good. Um, But that's my one hesitation to buy in full force. Because so far, the reports that you hear, man, from people that have been at Mizzou camp thus far, and let's remember, take this with a grain of salt because they don't see everything, are basically that he looks awesome. And Eli Drinkwitz, anytime that he's asked that have stood out to him, Cooper, out of his mouth. That's worth something. Anytime that they were asked, who's, who's standing out to So, real, but... Yeah, and, and we know how Kiki Chisholm performed um, at the beginning of the season. It was mostly not there. So, yeah, you don't want to take um, lessons learned in spring ball and apply them to a full SEC schedule, right? Like, that's, no, that's probably not going to happen. But the point is that he is seeing the field, he is being utilized, and he's being utilized enough that you're thinking, okay, regardless of what we see or don't see, the coaches clearly have a want to have him on the field. Like he is proving that he is probably one of the better athletes in the receiver room right mm-hmm. now. So that's a good thing. You want your four stars, your five stars to, to play really, really well. Um, as far as rotation, as far as usage and like packages that he comes in or like routes that he runs, like, yeah, we're going to figure this out. We're going to see it when the games happen and he's going to drop some balls. And he's going to run some run route run routes and he's not going to run block super well. And like, We'll get to all that, <laughs> but, you know, it's it's at least refreshing that I feel like from just a, a lizard brain kind of simplistic view, uh, you know, oh, well, the good guys are going to make their way to the top, and then sometimes we get confused when some two or three star is hogging the, the starts, but, like, that's not the case here. <laughs> the the young, talented guy is, has made his way clearly to the high usage rate, so we can't expect to see him in the fall, and that's it, the promise there is just – it's exciting. It is, and it's worth getting excited about. And I got to be honest, man, if I'm going to make a, a bold prediction here on, what is it, March 16th as we're recording, I think he's going to start. Um, I, I think Mookie Cooper, based on everything that we've heard thus far, and it's no longer super early in camp, they have, this is the last week of spring ball. They're, they're going to have their spring game on Saturday, and I, from what I understand, I think that's kind of it, um, at least until they get back for workouts. They'll do those throughout the offseason, but... 
in terms of organized football, this is basically the end of what they're going to be doing for a little while. And he's taken a lot of reps and he looks great. And the coaches are raving about not just what he's been doing, but also the work ethic. I, I listened to an interview with um, Eli Drinkwitz recently, and he was talking about how he, after the first practice, came to Eli Drinkwitz and said, hey, what's our install for tomorrow? I want to get a head start on it. That's the kind of thing you want to be hearing about these types of players, because that shows not just that he's looking great on the field, but also that he's putting in the work in the classroom, right, so to speak. So I, I think he's going to start, man. I think you're going to see, like, in terms of the most reps out there, Kiki should be number one. I think Towski Dove, if I had to put money on it, would probably number be number two for me. I think Mookie Cooper is probably going to be number three. And then number four is going to be a battle between Jalen Knox, Barrett Bannister. I think you could maybe see Dominic Lovett work his way into that mix and the mix. It's just uh, it's such a bulkhead of 5'10 dudes yeah. at the receiver position. And, um, you know, uh, Jalen Knox isn't getting any work because he's injured for all of spring. Um, but, yeah, every good receiver that we have is under six foot tall. So, I, I don't know how they're going to work him in. Yeah, it's going to be a battle. But uh, yeah, if, if Mookie Cooper has 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 separated himself to the point where he's getting a majority of the of the reps here, that's that's probably a good indicator that we're going to see mm-hmm. a lot of him. Which we should. That that should absolutely happen. Um, you know, so really, you know, kind of coming into spring, you're like, how do the young freshman receivers look? Plus Cooper, um, how does the secondary look? And so far, we've seen you know Jadarius Perkins. Um, see a lot of heavy rotation there. Uh, Zaquan Reeves earned his number early. Now, keep in mind, Jarvis Ware is also not participating in spring, so there's a chance that you know some of this is because he's not there. Same on the safety core. Uh, Jelani Williams isn't playing, so you see um, uh, Chris Sheeran uh, getting a lot of starts with the ones um, who sat out last year, so it's kind of surprising to see him. Uh, you also see you know Mason Pack back there. It's also telling that you're seeing exactly. him back, and yeah. now he's starting. I think that tells mm-hmm. you something, that what they thought of him as a player. And, uh, Sean Robinson, that story's still going on. Um, I know he's seen a lot of play in safety, and, and really it kind of seems like from a, a, what are they called, the all-interview team, <laughs> certainly the writers are rooting for Sean Robinson. But it's huh. a unique story, and it would be cool. I know we've talked about this, and like, hey, maybe it's not a super great thing if he's – one of your top three safeties, but just from a human interest standpoint, from a you want a guy to succeed standpoint, it is cool that Sean Robinson is so far holding his own as the second team safety uh, and still seeing some still seeing some action. Yeah, I mean, it's an awesome storyline. I also am kind of happy that he's not starting <laughs> um, in, in <laughs> yeah. a weird way. Like, it, yeah. if he was immediately thrust in as the starter, I would have some questions as to what's going on with the guys that, you know, were recruited as safeties coming into this offseason. Um, I'm really interested to see how this works it, it, itself out because I'm happy to see Chris Sheeran in the slot. He's kind of a, a corner by trade. So I, I think that that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, J.C. Carlisle as your starting free safety right now. I wonder if it continues to be that way when you get Jelani Williams back. I would, I would think not, but I'm not sure. Um, th- I think there's going to be a lot of rotation early in the year in the secondary. 
I think if you're looking for one spot on the roster right now that I don't think is settled, I think that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and so I, I'm really interested to see how it works its way out because you have so many intriguing options, especially at corner. If Jadarius Perkins is better than I gave him credit for, and if they hit on uh, Carnell, the freshman, who I think is awesome, coming out of Indianapolis, make some really intriguing to pair with Enos Rakestraw. Um, that, that could be a lot of fun to watch at corner. I mean, if, again, you got to think of this from a, a breaking in standpoint, especially in the secondary. Does the schedule give you time to figure out what you have? Well, not not really. You should probably have it figured out by fall. There's not going to be a lot of game reps to get you going because while Missouri does open September 4th with Central Michigan at home, the very next week they go to Lexington, Kentucky, and you're at Kentucky in a division game. So I know the Wildcats aren't going to throw it all over the field, but, like, you can't just, you know, screw around and, and, and still be working on rotations the second game in. Uh, you get SEMO after that, and then you got to go to Boston College, which will abuse you through the air. So it's they really got to figure it out now. And, and if there's a rotation, that's fine. If you kind of just have positional safeties or positional corners or however you want to do it, but you got to find at least one corner that you can rely on whether that's Perkins, whether that's Ware or Rakestraw, you got to find, you know, you got Martez Manuel who's kind of all over the place. You got to find at least one deep safety uh, who can provide some extra coverage now because once you get into August, you really got to figure that stuff out and you got one game to prep and then it's go time. Yeah, they need to figure that out early. And the other thing that they're going to have to figure out is their rotation along the defensive line uh, because. You have a lot of guys coming back along that defensive line, man. If there's one place that you're going next year, and that doesn't always mean good players, but experience nonetheless, it's along the defensive line. You've got Chris Turner coming back. Kobe Whiteside is back. Markel Utzi is back. Kale Byers is back. All of those dudes could have been gone if they wanted to be, but they're back for another year. And honestly, it's a good thing for Mizzou that they're back because at worst, that's really nice depth. Um, at best, maybe they take another step forward. You get a really good year out of Kobe Whiteside now that he's healthy. Utzi was pretty strong against the run when he was healthy last year. And Akil Byers, I don't know what went on with him last year, but he's shown some promise in the past. I find it really interesting that uh, you saw a guy like Realist George get some playing time with the ones at the most recent open practice. Yeah. Daniel Robledo is kind of mixing his, uh, mixing his way in at defensive end as well uh i johnny walker got some time with the ones apparently ben Mm -hmm. key got some Mm -hmm. opportunities with the ones they've got a lot of guys along the defensive line you can only play so many of those guys though in a game and so that's another spot like as much as safety is uncertain right now defensive line is more certain i kind of have more certainty about who these players are and what they've done for me in the past it's every bit as uncertain, though, in terms of who's actually going to get the playing time once you get onto the field. I, I I do wonder about that. I mean, regardless of who was going to be on this staff, ah, just because point. you had so many returning guys and those returning guys were um, injured, various forms of injured <laughs> uh, last year, you knew there was going to be a lot of tryout in the spring. Add to that, on top of that, you have a brand new defensive staff along the defensive line, in the secondary, and coordinating the entire defense. So, like, it kind of feels to me that, yes, you're going to have to figure out what pieces you have regardless, especially guys who just didn't see much action. 
but this staff needs to hmm. see them with their own eyes. So am I going to have long-term takes because Ben Key got some reps with the one? Uh, no. <laughs> but the, the fact that he's getting that opportunity is good. You always go into spring ball saying, hey, you know, every every position's open. It's yeah. always an open tryout. No one's guaranteed anything, blah, blah, blah. Yes, yes, yes. This is really the case this year. So you can really see that those effects happening now. And I, I got to believe that as we get into fall, the Ben Keys, the Realist Georges, you know, unless they're really good, um, are going to see less reps with the ones, and you're going to start seeing a more – uh, a finalized course start to take shape halfway through August. But for now, it is fun just to kind of see them get that work and, and the potential of some new guys uh, getting some heavy playing time. Yeah, I, I think George has a chance. Uh, you, you don't bring him in if you don't think that he's going to fit into your rotation in any way, shape, or form. But he's just such a question mark because he, you know, he played fullback and now he's a defensive lineman. Like, it's kind of like, what what is he? What What can he do, you know? question and i i don't know uh is the answer for uh, like i kind of know you're going to get or at least i feel like i do out of a kill buyers i i'm kind of more intrigued could get out of realist george like could he be more of a pass rush impact guy especially on passing downs in the interior maybe and i'm interested to find out if that is the case like could you put him and darius robinson out there uh for example on third downs on the interior I'd like to see what that looks like. Could you do that with Trajan Jeffcoat? I'd like to see what that looks like. Um, hmm. So I'm here for it. I'm here for the <laughs> experimentation. And this is the time when you do stuff like that. You're right. You find out what exactly these guys can give. You want to see what they look like. Like, I want to see what Realist George looks like um, in the interior when he's next to Kobe Whiteside. As opposed to when he's lined up in the interior with Ben Key, right? I don't want to see him with the threes. I want to see what he looks like when he's yeah. got somebody next to him that can take away some of those double teams. Because that's what he would have yeah. if he was in a game. So, I, I, I'm i happy to see that this team is willing to experiment with some of those uh, lineups on the interior, especially. And, of course, you know, every every practice, um, every, every time we get to spring ball and we get into fall ball, the question inevitably rotates to quarterbacks. And how the quarterbacks are performing. Uh, we've we've talked before, uh, Connor Bazelak, the reigning co-SEC freshman of the year, Connor Bazelak, um, saying that he wants to work on the deep ball during this offseason. Thank you, Connor. We yes, you do need to do that. Uh, so <laughs> I hope he and the receivers are are playing uh, five hundred a lot after practice and really getting their 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 nine routes down. But <laughs> when we when we talked about this. Bazelak should be the starter. We fully expect him to be the starter, barring some kind of injury. The curious story is, of course, in the backup. And I think I've seen a couple of stories written about the battle between Brady Cook uh, and Tyler Macon. A friendly battle, mind you. They're obviously very supportive of each other. They're on the same team. But they are vying for playing time. They are vying for snaps. Uh, it sounds like Cook has, has done very well uh, running the offense uh, through, I, th- I think, the twos and the ones. Macon got some shot with the with the starting mm. offense as well. Uh, seeing that he got sacked like three or four times is, is disheartening. But the fact that he also scrambled and made some big plays, 10, 15-yard gains on the ground, is kind of like that hinting at that athleticism that gained him uh, four-star notoriety and made such a big deal when we got him signed. Uh, he earned the number 10, the old Chase Daniel. So it'll Ooh, that's a bold number it to really select. It really is. I was kind of surprised, but I like it. 
Uh, so it's interesting to see what he can do. Uh, I've seen a few snippets of video and where he was kind of throwing the ball out of bounds, which tells me nothing. But the hint of athleticism, the hint of what can be, is around the corner. I'm really curious what we find out as we get back into August. Yeah, it's been interesting to me because so I wrote an article on Rockam. If anybody wants to check it out, you can check it out on the on the website about how Mizzou's got a good problem right now, right? And we talked about this the last podcast around as well. Like, if you can have three good quarterbacks, you take three quality quarterbacks, and you figure it out from there. I didn't mention Brady Cook in that discussion, and maybe that's unfair of me to do so, but, again, this is probably unfair, and I'm not trying to take a shot at Brady Cook, but in terms of the lineage, the pedigree... There's just nothing to suggest that Brady Cook is going to beat out these guys in a battle. Brady Cook this year, hold off Tyler Macon. Absolutely. He 100% could. Maybe Tyler Macon, it takes him a little longer to get a grasp of the offense. Uh, He's not fully there yet. And if, uh, God forbid, in any given game, Connor Bazelik went down or if he was out for an extended period of time, maybe Drinkwitz this year would feel more comfortable handing over the offense to Brady Cook than he would to Tyler Macon. That does not mean that Brady Cook would be the long-term answer, though, over Tyler Macon. I'd be very surprised if that were the case. Um, so that that's kind of where I'm at with those two guys. I wouldn't be surprised if Brady Cook is the backup this year. I would be very surprised if he is, in an extended period of time after the 2021 season, listed over Tyler Macon. Especially with Sam Horn coming in. Correct. Uh, you just got to have to figure it like nothing against Brady Cook, but based off of uh, projected potential, you would you would probably put Macon and Horn above Cook. Now, we and can by say the, way, the same Connor thing about Bazelik Bazelik beat him out last year. That's true. That's absolutely true. Um, you know, Basilek did not come in with like a huge amount of fanfare. Obviously, he was backing up uh, Kelly Bryant uh, in 2019, but like. You never know what these sort of things, but just based off of potential from what they did in high school, you would expect Brady Cook to find himself towards the bottom. And who knows? Maybe maybe he just has a really good grasp of the offense and holds on to the second spot. But you do have a lot of blue chip talent coming in, so it's it's fair to expect them to start. And that's, yeah, like you said, that's not a shot against Cook. That's just um, a commentary on how well Drinkwitz has recruited the quarterback position. Yeah, and even if you did look at, like, you go back to the pedigree, I know Connor Bazelek didn't have a fanfare, but he was rated pretty high recruiting services. I mean, he was listed as the 24th. He was a four-star. Yeah, he, he was listed as the 24th overall quarterback, uh, pro style at least, by rivals. So he, he was rated pretty highly. He was a five seven three star I, I guess Brady Cook was too, technically. I, I guess I underestimate what Brady Cook is. May, maybe this is a me problem more than a Brady Cook problem. Um, I just didn't view him <laughs> that way because he was kind of more of a, a late yeah. recruit as opposed to a guy like Connor Cook who came on early, Tyler Macon, who had a ton of fanfare and while at one point was a three-star, was considered to be one of the best quarterback prospects in the country. Um, Maybe I'm being unfair to Brady Cook, and I hope he's fantastic and he ends up beating everybody out and he is an all-SEC player. That'd be the best thing for all of us, right? But I'm still in a – I'm kind of in a holding pattern with him right now. I mean, his other big offers were Austin P. Lindenwood, Southern Illinois, and Arkansas State. 
Is that good? <laughs> See, that's 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 my thing. Like I, rivals had him listed as yeah. a five seven three star, but when you look at the offers, it's like, is this a five seven three star? Typically, you don't see Lindenwood listed as an option when you have a five seven three star for a top twenty quarterback in the country. That's all I'm saying. Usually, no. Usually, no. But yeah, I mean, if you got to have blue chip recruits, you want those blue chip recruits to be at positions of of big importance. And that's you know defensive end, that's wide receiver, that's cornerback, and that's quarterback. And so clearly, Drinkwitz has gotten some some blue chip ends, some blue chip corners. And some uh, blue chip receivers coming in. And of course, the blue chip quarterbacks are also very important. Speaking of which, BK, I've done, I'm doing a little series here. Oh, I've been seeing this. It's been fun. I I have forgotten some of these guys that uh, walking through kind of a, a history lesson of blue chip quarterbacks. But what I'm looking at is uh, Midwestern blue chip quarterbacks at Midwestern schools from 2000 to 2015. Uh, if you haven't read it yet, it is on Rocket Nation. You could go check it out. The second one just dropped today. The third will drop next week. There are there are some guys I, I didn't realize uh, were from the Midwest initially. There are some that I whose entire careers I had forgotten. And there <laughs> are some big names uh, that I remember from the recruiting trail uh, that you know just that like made a splash. They were so good, and then just completely disappeared, and I forgot they existed in my life. But the whole exercise is to give us a good idea or a better idea, more educated idea of what the potential of Connor Bazelak and Tyler Macon can be, because both of those guys are Midwestern blue chip quarterbacks who signed with a Midwestern school, in this case, Missouri. So if you go back to 2000 and, and you look at every single blue chip, that's a four star, five star quarterback that was uh, that was produced by a Midwestern high school that signed with a Midwestern college, you got. You got about 11 um, in the 2000 to 2008 sample, and uh, you got 12 in the 2009 to 2015 sample. So not a whole lot out of, like, 52 guys. BK, it's really weird because you look at the college career and you pair it with the NFL career. Like, if you look at those two as one continuous career, the best quarterback to come out of the Midwest that played for a Midwestern school is Kyle Orton. Uh-huh. <laughs> and most of that is just because he got to stick around in the NFL for like, you know, 10 years. But he had a hell of a career at Purdue with uh, Joe Tiller's spread offense. And then he had a decent career numbers-wise at Chicago and Denver. And I'm like, to me, Kyle Orton was always kind of a punchline of a quarterback. But apparently the dude was pretty good. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, he was solid in the NFL. He... He was one of those guys, it's kind of like a Ryan Fitzpatrick nowadays, where he's, if he's your starting quarterback, you're always going to want to upgrade. But you can win a few games with him as your starting quarterback. You didn't have an issue with that at the time. And he had some really good years with the Bears. Um, he had some decent, he had a couple of years, if I'm not mistaken, with the Chiefs, where he was kind of a, a frisky oh, yeah. guy back there. Yeah. Um, he he was a fun player, man. He he had a little bit of Jay Cutler to his game where he was not afraid to take a shot. Um, and that sometimes came back to haunt him. But, you know, it, it's part of also what led him to be kind of a fan favorite as a backup at times as well. Another guy on your list, especially from the 2000s, that I really hadn't thought about a whole lot is Josh Freeman. Oh, um, yeah. God, what a strange career he had because... Mm -hmm. He was really good early on. I think if it was either his rookie year or his second year, he was awesome for Tampa Bay. And then it was just over. 
like w- without really any sort of um precedent his career just took an end it, it was it was wild man he was there he was starting for 16 games and then he got traded and then it was over within like two seasons it, i i'm not sure that i've ever seen a career quite like his i you some of these names like troy smith so, why mm-hmm. some some consider the worst heisman trophy winner of all time um which you know whatever you believe that that's fine he's certainly had the most accomplished career he won a big 10 title he went to a national championship he won the heisman he won a boatload of other trophies goes to the nfl goes four and four in eight starts never hear from him again yeah he just didn't have the size yeah i wonder what he would be like if he was in today's game that's a good question that's a solid question. But, you know, Brady Quinn. Brady mm-hmm. Quinn had an incredible career at Notre Dame. Now, the joke was always they couldn't win a BCS uh, bowl, which, okay. But he threw for over almost 12,000 yards, 95 touchdowns, went 30-19 and 19 as a starter, got drafted by the Browns, and football died. Yep. Right? You know, Deshaun Kaiser, who had a really we- – another Notre Dame guy who had a really weird college career. Um, tremendous performance. Team sucked. Goes to Cleveland. Dies. He was, he was the quarterback for that 0-15 team, yep. and now he's a practice star. But basically, it's like, if you're a Midwest quarterback, don't get picked by the Browns. Or just any quarterback, don't be picked by the Browns. Um, but, you know, we got a lot of guys on here, like Chase Patton, Missouri's favorite dentist, right? Like, he was he was a thing, and then, you know. By the way, got, were, were you surprised at all at how many of these guys went to Mizzou? Uh, yeah, that's one of my big takeaways for next week. Like, you, we go back and we're like, you know, Pinkle's recruiting. We always talk about you know, getting the underrated, you know, the the diamonds in the rough and, and for, man, he when he recruited, when he hit on the big recruits, it was typically a quarterback. Yeah, and, and that was impressive. That I think we forget about how good he was at, at getting the the local blue chip talent to stick around. I mean, you you just you look at this, and at the same time that you had Chase Daniel, he goes out and gets Chase Patton. I understand, like that now it's a punchline, right? The the Heisman and the future NFL star, the the front of the Sports Illustrated cover. But like that, that's a big get to be able to get that guy to come to the hometown school. Blaine Gabbert, that was a big-time get. Blaine Dalton was right around that same time. And I know, again, that's kind of a punchline now, but it, it was a big get at the time. Matty Mock was a massive get. And same thing with Drew Locke. And you keep going and going. And this is just, for as much as we talk about the underrated success like you're talking about with those lower-level recruits, it was always about the quarterback, and anytime he talks to Gary Pinkle, he would acknowledge that. If you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a program, and that's something that I think we're clearly seeing. Eli Drinkwitz understands as well, and he's been implementing some of those same philosophies into his program. I don't know that that was 100% there under Barry Odom. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, a lot of these, the especially when you look at the jump to the NFL, I broke it down 2000 to 2008 and then 2009 to 2015. That first sample size had eight guys go into the NFL. Mm-hmm. But what kind of quarterbacks were they? They were all tip, like more your, your pocket passers. Yes, Troy Smith was mobile. Yes, Justin Zwick, Zwick had some wheels, right? Um, Josh Freeman had some some mobility to him, but most of them were big But he big was a pocket dudes. passer. Yeah, Even though were, he was big and he could run, he was a pocket passer. They were big dudes who could throw. That second class that I was looking at, 09 to 15, and 15 was the arbitrary stop point because that was the last uh, person who graduated from college and made it to the NFL, um, three. 
31 blue chip quarterbacks in the 0915 Midwestern quarterbacks at Midwestern schools. 31 were produced. Only 12 signed with a Midwestern school, and only three made it in the NFL. And those three were from the 15 class. It's crazy. And like they're Clayton Thorson, who's a smaller guy, but super accurate. Deshaun Kaiser, more of a mobile guy. And then Drew Locke. And we know Drew Locke. So it's like maybe it's the style of quarterback that the Midwest produces, or maybe it's just the teams that they end up on. But like, I know if you look at any sample of region, the vast majority of the quarterbacks in that region are not going to do well in the NFL. That's just what the NFL does. But man, they just they have not had a lot of success just getting drafted in the first place. Um, and I thought the dichotomy between those those sample sizes was really interesting. Yeah, it, it is kind of wild to see and the stark contracts contrast rather between the two because there's really nothing that should have hindered that second class from being more successful in the NFL. But then you look through some of the names, like, I mean, some of these guys were just colossal failures in college football. Gunnar Keel, you look back on that and it's like, man, what happened to that guy in college? Because yeah. he was supposed to be a star. Um, Nathan Shieldhouse, maybe not to that same degree, but like he was always the smart guy that it was, okay, college probably going to be the end for him. So, there's some of these guys that you could have seen it coming for. Matty Mock, he was never going to be an NFL quarterback because of his size. Um, but other guys, it's like, man, what? how come it didn't click for them? Like, how come Deshaun Kaiser never made it work in the NFL? I'm not sure we'll ever know the answer to that question, maybe someday. But uh, it, it it's crazy, man, because these, these quarterback evaluations, there's just so much that goes into the position. It's about more than just your skills. There are so many intangibles. How can you command a huddle? How can you command a locker room for that for that instance? How can you um, understand and conceptualize what you're trying to do on the football field when it comes to the game plan? Like, can you internalize something on a Friday and then go implement it into the game plan on on Saturday and then eventually on Sundays? There's so much more than just, are you accurate? Can you throw the ball with any sort of significant arm strength? It's about much more than just that. And I think Absolutely. this shows that. Yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not the fault of the schools or of the region either. It's just some guys get it, some guys don't. Um, and, you know, you look kind of towards the near future, uh, a, like a Brandon Peters who signed with Michigan um, outside of uh, once he graduated from high school, but he's currently at Illinois. Um, he is, he's a big enough dude that I think some people might be interested in him. Uh, he's from Avon, Indiana. Uh, but, but who knows? I mean, he's, he's at Illinois. Um, Graham Mertz at Wisconsin. He showed a lot of promise in a few games uh, at Wisconsin last year. He's from Overland Park, Kansas. Um, but you know, six four two oh five. I'm sure he's put on some extra pounds. That's another guy to look that possibly gets an NFL look. Connor, our own Connor Basilak. That's a guy that might make it. Um, J.J. McCarthy at Michigan, obviously our own Tyler Macon, Jake Rubley at uh, Kansas State, uh, Don- Donovan McCulley at Indiana. Like, I mean, you've got some guys who are still being produced. Like, there's a lot of them. It's just the NFL is the great equalizer, and some of these guys, whatever it is, they can't cut it. And and so we're sitting here thinking, oh, wow, I hope Connor Bazelak and or Tyler Macon has the career of Kyle Wharton, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is, you know, it, it seems kind of weird, but from a business standpoint, 
Hell yeah. Get a couple of years of starting. Be a backup for the rest of your life. Get that Chase Daniel uh, kind of money. I was about to say, that's the career you that's want. That's the career, man. Hold that clipboard for $10 million a year. Hell yeah. Let's let's get it, man. Like, that's, that's awesome. But it also kind of shows you the realistic ceiling for a lot of guys in the NFL, which is uh, backup that is in high demand during the offseason and makes a ton of money. Well, that the other thing is, I mean, it's just so hard to know who's going to hit, right? Because, so let's go through, I, I'm just looking through right now, the top 10 quarterbacks last year in passing yards in the NFL, okay? Sure. So you've got Deshaun Watson. That was an easy evaluation. He was a top prospect coming out. He ended up being amazing. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes. Nobody could have seen that coming. He went to Texas Tech out of high school. I think he was a three-star recruit, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. And he was as much guy. a baseball player as he was a, a football player yep. in high school. Nobody yep. saw that. Tom Brady. Nobody California. saw this coming. He's from California, and he barely started at, at Michigan. They wanted to replace him at Michigan. Mm-hmm. So he ended up going in the sixth round. Nobody saw this coming from him. Matt Ryan. I don't remember what his prospect status was, but he went to Boston College. I think he was pretty good high school recruit, if I remember correctly. Matt Ryan, uh, let's check this out. 2003 was his year when he came out of high school. Oh, crap. It's three-star, according to rivals. Damn. There we go. So that, that's not a guy that you would have expected to be here. Josh Allen ended up going, if I'm not oh mistaken, the JUCO route, and then he went to, to Wyoming and ended up being a star in the NFL because he was a late bloomer who just he worked out, right? Um, Justin Herbert, that's your classic case of a stud. Aaron Rodgers, Juco, Juco again. Kirk Cousins, mm, I don't think was a big-time recruit. Am I mistaken on that? No, I don't think he was. Um, I know he he had a long career at Michigan State. I don't think he was. Um, he was a he solid was a quarterback in college for sure. He was a 5-5 3-star. Oh, my God. He was 6'2", 171. Yeah. yeah they were three-star all the way so i mean that's that's not a guy that you would have thought he's certainly not a blue chip recruit by any stretch of the imagination um russell wilson is next up he's ninth on this list in passing yards last year he was a 5.3 two-star quarterback that committed to uh nc state back in 2006 and then another baseball guy exactly and then finally on the list it's philip rivers and i'm not even sure they were doing rivals at that point (laughs) uh no he would have been it would have been a right around the Damn, 2000. So let's see here. Oh, 24-7 sports. I don't think. No, they don't have a um, Class of 2000, no rating. Yeah. Nope. So, I mean, that that's kind of – it's a total mixed bag, right? You had multiple JUCO players. You had Patrick Mahomes, Matt Ryan, um, Kirk Cousins, Russell Wilson, who were two- or three-star recruits. I mean, that's more than half of the list. It's not these five-star guys that we talk so much about. It's not the four-star guy. And that doesn't mean that those guys won't also be successful. Kyler Murray's really good. He was the top-rated recruit in his class. Jared Goff was a really highly-rated guy. Uh, Matt Stafford was a blue-chipper back in the day. Those guys can also work out and be really good players in the NFL. But it's just it's so hard to know who's going to eventually work out in the league because there is so much more that goes into this than just the size and the arm really is and it's it's a humbling experience and this is kind of what you get um obviously justin fields and uh trevor lawrence mm-hmm. are going to add to the lore of the five-star awesome quarterbacks and i'm sure they're going to do just great unless um, they're not successful the you know that's that's the other unless, thing as yeah, much as i think yeah. that they're going to be great 
They might not be, man. I've been wrong about these guys mm-hmm. before that go in the top five. Like, I thought Sam Darnold was going to be pretty good. He stinks. He's no good. <laughs> so it, yeah. it, it, there's no guarantees that they're going to work out either. Yeah. Who knows, man? This is this is what's fun about this kind of exercise, though. It really shows you what, who number one, who went where and where they're from. But, like, just the humbling experience of trying to be an NFL quarterback or just an NFL player in general. Uh, it's incredibly difficult. You have to have the right work ethic. You have to have the right ability to study and, and memorize things quickly and then execute on game day. And some guys have some of those tools, but uh, very few have all of them. And it's really tough to tell in high school how you're going to be as a pro. So uh, we'll see what that means for Connor and Tyler uh, and their careers at Missouri. Hopefully they do well with us and find NFL success. But, uh, yeah, the main takeaway is that, I don't know. <laughs> Shrug tough emoji. Hey, Shrug one, emoji. one quick aside real quick, um, just yeah. looking down up and down this list. Remember when Kyler Murray and Kyle Allen had a quarterback battle at, oh, at Texas A&M back in the day? I that do. was fun. That yeah. was fun. And then neither of them ended up staying. That was great. Kyle <laughs> Allen ended up at Houston, and Kyler Murray ended up at, at uh, o- Oklahoma. What a time. Yeah, yeah. and Kevin Sumlin ended up in Arizona. So <laughs> yeah, like, uh, and he's terrible. That that's a, that's a conversation for some other day. I feel bad for Mr. Sumlin, but we'll we'll touch that later. Uh, but speaking of things that are Missouri adjacent, um, Brandon, do you know anything about a man named Rush Prost? I know that he was on two days back in the day, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. Rush Prost was on two days. That's where I first met him. Obviously, um, he was also the coach at Valdosta State. Do you know where Valdosta State is? It is in Georgia. It is in Georgia. Uh, he's quite a good uh, football coach at Valdosta. Now, there there are some things wrong with Rush Probst. Uh, a lot of things wrong, actually. It's why he's kind of bounced around with some jobs. Uh, some of them have to deal with how he treats players. Some of them is how he treats people. Uh, I believe he had uh, two other families that didn't know about his other family, like Basically, not 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 above board, dude. Let's just call it that way, okay? Um, but Mr. Prost was caught on audio talking to a man named Nub about Georgia recruiting and SEC recruiting in general. Now, again, you got to look at the source. The source is kind of a shady dude, shady character. Okay, we can take that for what it is. And from this recording from a couple of weeks ago, some of it is clearly just talking out his butt. He's talking about uh, Bear Bryant Jr. running Alabama, which, okay, huh. no duh. He's talking about Nick Saban's processes, which, okay, no, yeah, no duh. The interesting thing in the recording is that he talked specifically about Georgia recruiting, as in the University of Georgia recruiting the state of Georgia. And the thing that he mentioned was that Kirby Smart, one of the biggest appeals of Kirby to the Georgia administration, is that he is really good friends with a lot of old Georgia money. Uh, found around Valdosta, found around Macon. And Mr. Probst dropped this little nugget, saying that the Georgia football players that sign with Georgia tend to get somewhere between ninety dollars and $100,000 to play football for the Bulldogs, including Nick Chubb, uh, who he convinced to come back for a senior year, getting $180,000 to stick around. So we all know this is how it works, but I'll be honest, BK, my first reaction when I heard that Georgia was playing players $90,000 to to play for Georgia, it's like, 
That's <laughs> cheap. We we could do that. <laughs> what do you think of this uh, this little interesting nugget of news here? I think it's um. I'm gonna choose my words uh, carefully here. Um, I think it is common sense to a lot of people that blue chip players come at a price at times and that there are certain programs that are willing to meet that price <clears throat> mcdonald's bags um <laughs> and so it would not surprise me if that is the case at some notable programs where you see a lot of blue chip players going and i want to be very clear this is not me bemoaning the fact that this is happening I am just simply stating that it is happening. What a very well-constructed, safe thing to say. <laughs> I'm very impressed. You may keep your job, BK. Thank you. I appreciate um, it. I like going to press yeah, conferences. I, just, <laughs> I know you do. I know you do. Um, this is this is kind of the price of recruiting in the SEC, right? Um, recruiting is obviously way more national now than it has ever been. But let's be honest, the best football players tend to come from the South. Now, whether that's confirmation bias or truthfully, you know, the South just knows how to play ball, regardless of why, that's where the players are. And that's where SEC schools are. Duh. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of uh, kind of innate leverage of Southern SEC schools to be able to get these kind of kids. Um, and that's why the SEC recruits so well as a conference year over year over year. That's why it's one of the toughest conferences to play in year over year over year. And that's why you see a lot of recruiting violations <laughs> at schools year over year over year. Why do you think Hugh Freeze got Ole Miss out of the basement within two years? This sort of thing, right? This is what he did. Um, we know it because we, we found out that he did it. Same, you know, if this is true for Georgia, so what? That duh. That's that's how this sort of thing works. Um, so this is why a lot of schools that don't have operational budgets, like a Georgia or an Alabama or an Auburn or a Texas or a Florida, this is why they go the route of two and three star guys. Find the diamonds in the rough, coach them up, because not every program has to cash to distribute in a McDonald's bag to the five star recruit that you want to get. I'm not saying that's the only reason you lose out. I'm also not saying that's the only way you get these guys. I'm just saying that overall, you tend to have to pony up some cash. And if you want to play above board, if you want to play by the rules, you got to be really, really good at developing because only a few programs can field an 85-man team at $90,000 a pop. Even if that is cheap, that is still expensive for a university football team. Especially because it's consistent, uh, right? Like if it was a one-off, exactly. okay, yeah, we could – a hundred G's, we can make that happen. If you're doing that 10 times over every year for a decade. Okay. Well now we're talking about a million dollars a year and that, that becomes a little bit more of an operational budget there. That's that, that's a lot of philanthropic giving. Let's just put it that way. Okay. A lot, a lot of philanthropic giving, um, trying to boost up some, some young hardworking gentlemen. Um, so yeah, that that's that's kind of where the big the, the big takeaway there was, and look, college football is always going to be dirty until the players can make money on their own. Like this is this is just the cost of doing business. 
I, I think, you know, the going rate of $90,000 is pretty sweet. What I don't understand is, number one, they should definitely be asking for more. 30000 a year if you play for four years? Like, come on. Um, but real quick, off the top of your head, BK, this is, this is what doesn't – I didn't understand this. What does a practice squad player earn in the NFL in a year? Do you know? Uh, I want to say it's like $150,000. Yeah, hundred and fifty thousand ish for a practice squad player is hundred and fifty thousand more or less than hundred and eighty thousand. Uh, less, less, but not by yeah, a so lot. Yeah, so it's two hundred thousand right? dollars this year. There you go, two hundred thousand. Well, two hundred thousand is twenty thousand more than one hundred eighty thousand. Mm. Why the hell did Nick Chubb come back to Georgia for one hundred eighty thousand dollars? Well, it might have been less than. It, it might have been around. But the even same. then, he wasn't going to be a practice squad player. No, he was no, going to be wasn't. drafted in the first round or maybe third round, but he was going to have a fat signing bonus and he was going to have some kind of multi-year contract. Like it blows my mind that he came back to Georgia for that. That seems like highway robbery to me. So here's something that we have to keep in mind um, for what it's worth. Some kids actually really do like being true. in college. That's true. Um, you know, like th- th- there are some guys that are like, yeah, you know, I, I could come back and hang out and be the big man on campus and maybe win a national title, especially at a place like Georgia. You're going to have an opportunity to do something like that. Maybe Nick Chubb just wanted to have a healthy year and be on campus for another year. You know, it's, it's not totally out of the question. That's a good point. And if you want to do something that you're already committed to doing and you get 180000 on top of it, sure, why the hell not? That's that's pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, the uh, God, the communion the communion played at the, the Church of Georgia it sure does get passed around a lot. That's, that's impressive. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so we'll get back to Missouri because that's, that's what the podcast is about. We got the, the black and gold game this Saturday. Um, it is reduced capacity. So make sure that you get your tickets. I think you go online. Uh, there's only a certain amount of tickets that are available. Concessions will be open. That's pretty cool. Uh, you do have to wear a mask unless you are eating or drinking, so keep that in mind. Uh, and you are going to be seated in pods of two to four. So it will be kind of selectively spread out. It doesn't sound like they're going to do um, like a black gold scrimmage like um, like Odom and Pinkle used to do. It sounds like there's going to be some situational plays and some drills, which – it tells you the same thing, guys. Like You don't need to watch a, a black and gold game to get a good idea of what the team's doing. In fact, sometimes more. Yeah, you're going to sometimes learn more. You're absolutely right. So it's it's going to be a little bit different, obviously, with COVID, but and obviously with just the setup of the day. But here's the the cool part. You can go watch them. right? It's, it's open. Uh, it's happening, unlike last year where it got canceled. So it's pretty cool. It's, it's going to be the last practice for the spring until we pack things away, until we get to August. Uh, so get out there, support the team. I know, uh, I guess Aaron Dryden is going to be there. Uh, I don't know if any of the Rockham staff is going to be there. Probably one of the beat guys. But, uh, yeah, get out there and, and take a look and uh, tell us what you see because it could be a lot of fun. Yeah, shoot us some tweets as well. Um, let us know what you're seeing out there. I think the biggest thing, like if I'm a fan going out there to watch on Saturday, the biggest things that I would want to see are confirmation that Mookie Cooper is awesome. Um, I, I would want to see that. I would be paying attention to your secondary because that's going to be one of the biggest storylines of the season for Mizzou. 
And then I'd be watching the rotation along the defensive line to see if it continues to be as deep as it was previously. I would think that it would still be, but watch who's getting the reps. You will learn more about the team by watching who is playing with who than you will by specifically trying to evaluate them in an individual practice. Because there's guys that will have bad practices or good practices, but who they're playing with will tell you who the coaching staff is interested in Absolutely. seeing play with them. That Absolutely. That's the biggest thing. And for me, I know the offensive line is kind of purposefully in flux because Mike Maietti is kind of taking the spring off. But for me, I want to see the tackles. Hiron White is projected starting right. Zeke Powell is holding down the left. I wonder what kind of rotation of tackles they have on Saturday is. I wonder who they're handing off to. We didn't even talk about the running backs, but – you know, is oh, Tyler point, Beatty yeah. taking the majority of the snaps as the one? Is Elijah Young or Taj Butts or BJ? Or I guess BJ Harris isn't on campus, but like, is there anyone pushing for for starts in the backfield? Is Connor Bazelak connecting on deep routes? Who's running those deep routes? Uh, and then, of course, an opportunity to <laughs> see Tyler Macon do Tyler Macon things with a number ten on his back. So, uh, there's a lot of opportunity to check out stuff, and uh, and I hope you all enjoy it. And yeah, send us some tweets. Want to see what's going on while we sit here in St. Louis and. Uh, dream about possibly what possible things that could be happening there but um yeah any parting shots other than that bk i don't think so man if you're somebody going out there to uh the spring game enjoy it enjoy the fact that it is back uh this year enjoy the fact that we're able to do this this time around um but otherwise just enjoy mizzou football man it's the last time that we're going to be able to see anything live from this team until the fall so it should be a good time for anybody that's Absolutely. able to get out there so yeah that's the show for today as always we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions leave a comment or rate us because we like all sorts of type of feedback that you can give us uh you can follow us on twitter i'm at nature edwards you can follow him at bk sports talk you can listen to him on the radio espn 101 espn 10 to 2 and of course you can follow rock and flagship at rock and nation we appreciate you tuning in this time we'll try to do better next time and until then M-I-Z. See you, you.